Authorization required. Captain's log. The impossible has happened. Somewhere along this journey, we'll find a way back. Enter authorization code. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. Our mission is to go forward. And it's just begun. There's still much to do. Still so much to learn. Security authorization accepted. Command codes verified. Transfer complete. You're listening to An Hour with the Continuing Committee with your host, Charlie Plain. Welcome to the show. Today we are going to preview the second edition regional season by doing a brief analysis of the factions that exist, what decks they might have, and how they're going to do. And, and to help me do that, I have two high-level players, including a former world champion. Uh, everybody welcome back, uh, Mr. Tyler Fultz. Hi, everybody. And Mr. Kevin Yeager. What's up, boys? So we're spending uh, about eight hours of time zones here to bring you this recording. So let's jump straight to it. And uh, let's explain to everybody what we did. What happened is that uh, there's a tradition through the last couple of years of power rankings. When uh, Kevin and others, and, and Kevin and Tyler and others, rank the affiliations from best to worst in terms of how they think they will perform for the upcoming competition season. This year we had uh, five people do that. Um, Tyler and Kevin, of course, myself. Uh, and the other two were Chris Stonstaby and uh, Nate. I can't remember his name. Nator. I'm sorry. I, I should have looked it up. But Weiniger. Nate Weiniger. There you go. So we have five rankings, and we, we did some median calculations and put some things in the computer and came up with 15 affiliations ranked from worst to best. Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, Deep Space Nine and Deep Space Nine Earth have been lumped into one faction. I'm sure that there are some differences there, but we're going to count them as one faction. So... Let's run through the power rankings. All of these will be posted in the show notes so that you can look at them and follow along. At the bottom, uh, Non-Aligned. Non-Aligned came in last by far. The, the only person who rated it not last was Nate, who gave it 13 out of 15. So we'll start with Kevin. Why are Non-Aligned ranked so lowly? Uh, they don't really have much of a cohesive idea about them. I mean, you can do gatherers, but gatherers' raid is pretty pathetic. Uh, I mean, you can run thieves, you know, at Deep Space Nine or something like that. You get free card draw more in every turn, but what was the free card draw every turn when it compares real power found in, you know, gaining five points and at what costing? So, uh, you know, without any real way of moving faster, I just don't see you know, a pure not aligned doing that well. Now, that isn't to say that someone couldn't do something really interesting with them. I have seen, you know, I have seen, uh, you know, one or two people try to do something interesting with not aligned, but they just don't have much of a cohesion at this point right now. Um, and, uh, you know, they lack some of those affiliation-specific power cards. I mean, design focuses on producing affiliation-specific power cards. And, you know, if you don't got power, it's going to be hard to win. But, you know, I, you know, 
you could always you could always just surprise your meta and show up with a non-aligned deck that's nothing but zero one zero and one costers or zero one and two costers and just you know cadet style it and just you know pound your way through. But you know I don't think you're gonna win a tournament that way. But you could have some fun, I suppose. Tyler, what about you? Uh, non-aligned's got a couple of built-in problems that I think prevent them really. Uh, achieving any greatness. The first is an issue of trust, which pretty well shellacks the thief deck, which I think uh, is, along with the androids, the most effective build uh, non-line has. Uh, and also there's the scene in the unseen. Why, why would you play an affiliation that has a dilemma that just totally screws it over out there? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what the thought process behind making that dilemma was, but I, you know, as far as uniquely non-aligned decks, that's sort of the, the end of the story. Um, however, with uh, the new Will of the Collective card uh, coming out, uh, Harry Mud, I think there's some potential for these decks to come back um, because they can now get around some of those dilemmas that would otherwise pose them. So they may not make a splash for regionals, but depending on when Harry Mud gets released, they could shake up Continentals or Worlds, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. Now, one thing that's important to note is that from day one with 2nd Edition, Non-Aligned was never intended to be playable on its own. So, you know, that's the reason a lot of those anti-Non-Aligned dilemmas exist, but you know, will people run them? You know, if if we're all sitting here saying non-aligned is the worst of the worst, you could show up at a regional and and if you found some unique combination of missions and and personnel, and and sneak a win because nobody runs the anti-non-aligned cards. It's a possibility. So. Sure. All right. Well, that brings us up to number fourteen, which had the biggest swing of any affiliation. Uh, highest ranked was number two by Kevin, and lowest ranked was 14 by just about everybody else. <laughs> that would that would be the Dominion. So I'm going to start with Tyler here. Why You put the Dominion as number 11. Uh, three of the other panelists put them as 14. What's, what's wrong with the Dominion that they're so low? Uh, well, I think for a long time, the Dominion's best deck was the Defiant Shuffle deck. And it was a really good deck because you essentially only had to complete one mission and then wait two or three turns and then the game would be over. Um, but since the release of Transport Crash Survivors, I think that's opened up the game to a lot more interaction decks that make that build much tougher to do. Um, and the Infiltrators that had some success for a little while haven't gotten any support in the last few sets, so I don't think they're viable either. Now, Kevin, on the other hand, claims that he has some sort of crazy tech that will make these guys awesome, but I have yet to see it. Yeah, so what do you know, Kevin, that everybody else doesn't? <laughs> oh, gosh, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> but, uh, no, in all seriousness, though, I, it's, it's, it's not me blustering at all. I, I just played it uh, here this last Saturday with uh, the other guys in my playgroup. I have shared this secret tech with two people who I trust implicitly to keep their mouth shut. And both of them have have, uh, have said that uh, they find it to be uh, inventive, creative, and they can see exactly where the power is at with what I'm doing. Um, 
I really don't want to say anything more than that because I don't really want to give anything up here. I, I do have to try to win Minnesota Regional on, on on April 9th. So you know, if I if I give up what it's going to do, what it does, you know, like like a lot of decks, it wouldn't take a whole lot to really devote something to shut it down. Now, if you're showing up to beat me, I'll take that as a compliment, I suppose. But it won't make me very happy that you, you know basically devoted six or seven cards in your deck just to beating me and i don't know so no i'm not going to say exactly what it is but uh i will say though that the dominion defiant is i think being undersold by uh by tyler again so well let me ask you this it without revealing the the, the tricks is 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 this going to be broken deck 2011 or do you just think it's something good that no one else has pieced together yet uh, I'll say I'll say it like this. I don't think it's broken at all, unless you consider the Dominion Defiant broken. Um, the the Dominion Defiant, though, I don't know. I I always I always flip flop a little bit on on the Dominion Defiant and what I think of it. There are moments where I think, God, this card is so broken because it it circumvents a major pillar of the game. It makes it so that you don't really have to face dilemmas after a certain point. However, on the flip side, I always say, Well, but you got to face dilemmas at some point, and on top of that, you gotta you gotta spend time and resources, you know, moving dilemmas. And then let's face it, the Dominion doesn't exactly they're not exactly known for dilemma busting power, and it really is kind of a balancing factor for them, you know, that they don't have they don't have like, you know, three cheater cards that, you know, cover everything. You know, they've got they got a couple of cheater cards that do a little bit and that's about it. So, you know, honestly, I don't really really consider much of anything in this deck to be broken. So, I mean I I posted in my in my blog that uh, you know I haven't felt this way about I haven't, I haven't felt as confident in a deck since Modern Morph that I you know took the world in 08, but I don't necessarily think it's able to play against the field as well as Modern Morph did. I mean Modern Morph was just that deck was just ridiculous, you know, and this deck is pretty crazy, but it's not really on that same sort of you know, level of the modern, you know, modern morph where it's avoiding everything and you can't really do much to stop it, whatever else like that. I mean, there are ways to stop this deck, but, you know, it, you know it's not broken, I don't think, unless you consider Dominion Defiant broken. So Fair enough. All right. Two down, 13 to go, and number 13 is the Bajorans. Not I guess a little surprising, given that they were the focus of so much attention with extreme measures, but... Um, their median ranking was 13, highest ranked was 10, and lowest was 14. So we're going to start with Kevin, who put them at 14. So you have them, uh, the lowest of anybody on the panel. What, what's your thoughts there? Well, once you actually, you know, once you, once you put Dominion where it belongs in the top <laughs> five, you know, Majorans are going to fall from 13 to 14 in my book. They just lack an identity. I mean, they, you know, they, they their, their old standby go-to was, was, you know, Integrity Micro Team, and it's been shown that design has had to put, you know, more roadblocks in the way of that because of the fact that things like Mont Morph and, T you know, other forms of TNG Integrity, you know, Integrity Micro Team, and I mean, just Micro Team, Micro Team, Micro Team has always been proven to be a, a winner. And, you know, Bajorans took advantage of that with Baraka Rats and stuff like that way back in the day. But once you took that away from them, what do they have left? And, you know, they just. They don't, you know, you can still play Integrity Majorans, but 
it's not as fast. It loses a couple of turns because, you know, design has put way, you know, put roadblocks in front of them, you know. I mean, when you can uninvite it for something, you know, it, 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 it lose a turn. So, you know, I just, they don't have much of a cohesive identity. They, they tend to share. They have what I think is the exact same sort of identity problem that Dominion has you know, outside of this crazy new tech I've got. When you when you look at Dominion historically for the last how many years, you know the problem has typically been they've got they've got one body and three heads, and none of those heads are able to control that body. You know that they've got you know, Dominion's got you know, founders and Morda and Jemadar, and they all have this great strength, and then they've got nothing else. You know, and you have a hard time getting at least two of those heads to work together. I think it's the same problem with Majorans. You've either got Integrity Micro Team, which is great, but it's not as powerful as it once was. You've got Majoran Resistance now, which is fine, but it's not, it doesn't have expl- you know, mid-game explosiveness. And then you've got Treachery Majorans, which have mid-game explosiveness, but they don't have any anything in the way of reliability because they've got, you've got three, four different power, you know, common dilemmas out there that kick them right in the face, you know, in issue of trust is, is the most alert. So none of the three heads in the Majoran on the Majoran body really can control that body and really do a whole heck of a lot. Now that being said, you can bring a decent deck that is any one of those three. And so it's not like there's all hope is gone with Majorans, but I just you know when I I, I can't think of anything that they have that makes me want to put them higher than 14. What do you think, Tyler? You you put them at 13, so not a heck of a lot better. Um, well, I, I, the main question with Bajorans is how good are the new Bajoran resistance guys? I mean, the, the micro team's been sort of neutered for a while. Um, and the thing with the resistance guys is... I think they are good, but inevitably what it comes back to is they have the same problem as Equinox, where they have these really convoluted ways to do stuff that people like the Borg and TNG just take for granted. Attribute boosting, skill gaining, um, you know, taking people out of the discard pile. Those affiliations have easy, quick, cheap ways to do it, and the Bajorans have to go through this rigmarole with their ship. Sometimes that works, but I think all in all, it's it's just not enough to propel them into into the higher rankings. Now, I put them at ten because you know you can integrity micro team isn't nearly as Kevin said as fast as it is, but you know the Bajorans can feel more cheap high integrity people than anybody else in the game, and when you can attempt a mission with six people who have integrity of eight or better, you know, if, if, two, if two of them get stopped, you can still field 32 integrity, which is enough for quite a few missions. So, you know, that's there's that there. And I, th- I think that a lot of people will play them because they're new. And that alone may statistically increase their performance. So, I mean, I might be wrong, and people play Bajoran decks, and they come in on the bottom four of every tournament. But I just thought that you know, the shiny newness of them might might play a factor in their performance overall. One thing I will say is that, uh, you know, I'm leaving 
I'm definitely leaving the design door open for the creative deck builders out there to find a way to meld Bajoran integrity and Bajoran resistance into something really workable. So that's that's my that, you know that's my question mark when it comes to them. But I haven't seen anything, and so I really I can't rank them higher because I haven't seen anything yet, and nor have I come up with anything myself yet. So. So next more. Go ahead. I think the more likely pairing is going to be the Bajoran resistance and the treachery guys. Because um, with Surmark and some of the other abilities they have, you know, Covenant becomes sort of a beast for them. So, and, and um, the two treachery missions, uh, Krasari Rendezvous and Acquire List Explosives, are both on the short list for Bajorans. So, I could see treachery and Bajoran resistance coming up as a better parent. I, I can see that uh, showing up as a control deck because that acts, it gives you um, political push access, and that can ruin some people's days if you can get that going. Um, what I will say, though, is that, you know, when you, when you argue for the shortlist, you know, those, those shortlist missions, Tyler, with Majorans and, and, the, and the treachery side, you know, you can always come back with, yeah, but, you know, integrity only has to go over 25, you know, as opposed to 30, and they don't got to come up with two honor, as the two treachery mission does, you know, and when you have to come up with treachery, you have to come up. You, know, you have if you, you have to get through an issue of trust, followed by that, you know, opponent's choice dilemma, which shuts down your mission. Just those two. So, you know, I understand what it is you're saying with Basso, Tromac, and Covenant, and things like that. But, you know, as long as an issue of trust and now Coolant League and things like that are are in are, are still out there, you know, they, they're still going to have a hard time, I think, on the treachery side. So. That sort of brings up the other problem with Bajorans is that before you before you build your deck, you have to solve the range problem first. And I mean, one of the ways to try and do that is to play those short range space missions. If you're not doing that, then you've got to be really creative. Certainly, certainly. Next on the list is Voyager, which also includes Equinox. Uh, came in twelfth on the median ranking. Some people had it as high as seven. You guys both had it at 12. So, Kevin, what's up with Voyager? What, you know, they have been in the past a powerhouse. Why are they so low now? For me, it's just the meta. That's really all it is. I mean, I'll be the first person to say that the, you know, the Chuckles Brothers deck is still great when it doesn't have to sit there and, and face down assimilation, capture, and tragic turn paired with whatever, you know, that, um, you know, if all you've got to worry about is a stop and attrition wall, you know, stop attrition wall pile, you know, then Chuckles Brothers can be really fast. You know, they can compete with any, you know, any speed solver deck out there. But, you know, when they have to make their way through a tournament and face down Cruge and Assimilation and Capture, which are becoming more, you know, which are becoming better and increasingly popular, they start to falter big time. Uh, you know, and so I just, I, I the, the matchups that are out there with, with Voyager right now are just not super favorable to them. Not not to say that a good player cannot, you know, take them deep into a tournament and so forth. I just don't, I just don't see them being super reliable right now based upon how the meta t it seems to be shaking out. So, and of course, the biggest knock I will always have with them is that they cannot pair with any other headquarters, and so they must always rise and fall on their own merits. And as long as you know, as long as the meta is not favorable, that's what's going to happen. They're going to fall. 
Tyler, what about you? I'd agree. Their vulnerability to all the interactive strategies is a problem for them. Um, but I would still be interested to see the the Voyager big event deck. Um, you know, I, I've seen it in Turner reports and and I hear things about it, but I I don't think I've ever actually gotten to face the you know sixty card thirty event Voyager tragic turn deck. And I'd just like to see how that works because I think it could be very effective, and I think you know the ability to play four or five dilemmas in a row at cost zero um, could work out pretty well for them. Yeah, and you know Voyager can avoid Kruge with with smart playing of Equinox, or not Equinox. I'm sorry, Exocomp, and they're they're really their biggest threat is going to be the Borg. I mean, there's always weapons against everything, but Voyager. I think they're a dark horse. I don't think they'll do well, but in the right tournament, they could. You know, a smart player prepared for interaction in a field where nobody's playing interaction, a Voyager Chuckles deck could easily rise to the top. Well, that leads us to the next one, which is the Ferengi. Ferengi got some love. Got some some, some love in extreme measures. And uh, we have a pretty... Pretty big difference between the two of you guys here. The biggest sense of the Dominion, obviously. Tyler put them at 7, which definitely puts them in the top half. Kevin has them down at 13. Uh, Tyler, why so high on the Ferengi? What what are your thoughts here? Well, I've had a soft spot for the Ferengi for a long time, since Rega came out. Um, and I think the Ferengi's fortunes largely rise and fall on the basis of how many skill dilemmas people are playing. Um, so since peak performance came out and all of the uh, pro skill dilemma measures that were in that, I think Ferengi have fallen a little bit. However, when people aren't playing a lot of skill dilemmas, as they might not now that Legacy's been eradicated, um, you know, Arega and then Ulis with Rom and the ability to make them all pass with. Uh, the play is the thing. Uh, I think they can be really powerful, actually. Do you think the double turn deck will feature prominently this year? I think any Ferengi deck that does well will have that as one of its missions. Whether or not people actually use the game text, we'll see. The, the mission in and of itself is pretty good for them. So, Kevin, what about you? You've got them uh, 13th. Well, everybody who's ever read my articles and stuff knows that I, I want Ferengi to be better. I really, really, really want Ferengi to be better. But I just, you know, no one's, no one's built anything super, you know, anything really proven with them. They struggle with attributes. They have the same treachery problem that we were talking about with, you know, treachery Bajorans and so forth, that a lot of their best people have treachery on them. And so an issue of trust always smacks them down. Um, I don't worry so much about skill dilemmas with him because Rule of Acquisition 33 pretty much, you know, handles that. Uh, you know, it, it isn't so much their matchup with anything other than just, you know, filter dilemmas hurt them and their their difficult attributes hurt them. And so anything that's just an attrition dilemma, you know, it, it can stop one fewer people and have the exact same effect on them. Um, and so that, to me, that's kind of the biggest issue. I agree. I would like to see someone build something really awesome and then I could get behind 
I can get behind them, but I, have, I haven't seen anything. I've definitely worked with them as much as I can. Um, I, I dabbled a little bit here recently with trying to do Ferengi double turn two mission with, you know, that you, you do a mission and then you do that space mission second and take your double turn. And on that double turn, you, you round, you round the corner with, you know, Ferengi tradition or what have you. Um, but they still need some help from design, in my opinion. They need an easier way to get events underneath underneath Ranganar so they can use that mission. If that were the case, if, if design would finally throw them a bone on getting you know cards underneath Ranganar easier without having to add a whole bunch of superf- you know superfluous cards like Ferengi Whip to your deck, um, then I could definitely see that deck taken off because you know that would allow the Ferengi to make up a turn or two that they seem, they seem to lose rather easily. See, I think we've already reached that point, though, with uh, Rom, a uh, professional soldier. Because in my mind, his text says, if you've got an interrupt beneath Ferenginar and you've got an interrupt in your hand, put whatever you want under Ferenginar. And, and that's the way I, I try and use them. Well, I totally agree. I mean, I obviously, you know, like I said, if you've read my articles, you know, I definitely you know, spearheaded that movement myself. But the problem I always seem to have with that is situational. One, remove ROM with secret identity. Have you know, you know, and then of course if you don't if you don't have the the interrupt underneath Frank and R and the interrupt in hand, you know, you're, you're gonna have a hard time. Second off, those cards you're putting under Frank and R are cards that are in your hand. And so you actually lose counters doing that because those cards are now going underneath Frank and R. So counters you spent to get those cards in hand are now in the bank so to speak, and so whatever you might make, whatever you might gain with putting them underneath Ferenginar, you've lost encounters invested, and that doesn't make good business sense, in my opinion. Uh, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna spend the money, you better make the money, you know, and in a, in a game that, in a speed-solving game where it's, it's over in seven, eight turns, you know, if you're gonna invest five counters worth of cards, you better get five plus counters worth of return on investment, and you better get it this turn or the next turn. Otherwise, it's going to be hard, in my opinion, to really justify, you know, spending that kind of that kind of an investment. Um, and like I said, I, I've never found it to be super easy to, you know, it, it's it, it can be easy, but it all you know to get the the interrupt in hand and the interrupt in front of but you know, you're you're spending counters to make that happen. And meanwhile, your opponents dropped four cadets. And a ship on the table, and you know, I, I it's just not nearly as cost effective in my opinion. It doesn't make good business sense. They need to. There needs to be a much easier way. I to to get those cards. You honestly, my my opinion is the Frangin need a mission that puts cards underneath Frangin R more efficiently than Purchase Move does. There needs to be a mission that you can set up. You you need to go attempt this mission, and when you solve it, you can put all the cards you want to underneath Frangin R, and then you can bounce on to your next mission and go after that uh, the double turn mission, you know, and then next turn you can spend those counters and refill your hand and so forth. Well, it does seem like if any affiliation anywhere can spend a lot of extra counters, it's going to be the Ferengi, so uh, maybe it's too cost-intensive for they to do that, but th- they have more cards than any other affiliation to allow you to spend more on a single turn, so. Oh, yeah. Cards that clog up your deck, though, and make your draws unreliable, in my opinion. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's you know that's why we have the rankings. So exactly. 
that's the bottom five. Let's go to the middle five. And this one is the uh, one of two affiliations that you have pretty far apart. Um, the Romulans. Tyler has the Romulans all the way down at 14. Kevin has them up at number six. So Tyler, not liking the green, the green bloods, huh? They just can't solve missions. Like, I, I've never seen a Romulan deck that could reliably go out and, and complete a mission. You know, they, they've got relatively few guys with cunning over six and a ton of treachery. And dissidents have the opposite problem in that they've got too much honor. So I just I don't see them being able to go out and and compete with other decks as far as mission completion. Uh, there's lots of cool other stuff you can do, but it doesn't do much good to have your opponent locked out of their third mission if you can't complete your first and second. That's fair enough. I mean, and and arguably the most effective Romulan deck ever is Justin Beal, Farseeing Eyes, which tried to lock you out at your first mission, and if it didn't, then it was in trouble. That's usually when he lost, is if he couldn't stop you at your first or, or your second mission. So, Devin, why do you have so much confidence in the Romulans? Because I have confidence in Donatra kicking people in the face. She is the new Kirk, and she will be good for the people who want to venture out with you know, with the green guys and, uh, you know, and, and, and make something happen. I'm not saying that the, the Romulan deck of the future is a, is a mission solver. I mean, the Romulans are always going to have to rely on, uh, their stupid little Romulan tricks because that's where their, that's where their real power has always, you know, been. It's, it's where it's going to continue to be. But Donatra, you know, once, while you're busy, trying to get that skill locked down or you're you're, you're trying to uh, uh, or, or you're just simply trying to mess with them in some way the little things that they do uh, Donatra is putting more pressure on an opponent's dilemma pile than the Romulans have ever been able to bring to bear before uh, you can attempt with seven Romulans and your opponent can you know throw what, what historically would have been enough they could throw Jewel the Chandra followed by Minor Revolt at you, and Donatra can hose the first one, and then you take your lump on the second one, and then you power shift your way to mission solving. Uh, and there you go. And then you can do that a couple of times, and if you're holding your opponent down enough, there you go. But I still think there is hope for a, a Romulan mission solving deck out there. Um, I think people need to re-examine uh, with Donatra, uh, use Donatra and then re-examine the, the Stooges. Re-examine the Stooges and what, what people, I think people need to, I think people need to re-examine the Stooges again, the Romulans. Especially since you can print all of them. So, Kevin thinks the Romulan Empire is built on Donatra's back. Um, there was a debate going on in the chat room the other day. Is Donatra better than Original Thinker, Tyler, or worse? Oh, there's no way she's good as original thinker. Original thinker causes you, as the person playing dilemmas, to completely rethink the way you play them and how many you play and in what order. Donatra, you know, most people are playing with 60% skill dilemmas at this point. All they have to do is draw enough of them to stop the Romulans. 
I don't think that's going to be all that difficult. Romulans have a great skill matrix. That is one thing that people seem to, that I don't know, I, I'm not accusing anyone of being stupid, but let's face it, I mean, a lot of people sell Romulan skill matrix way short. Um, I think the Romulans have some of the best skill combinations on people of any affiliation out there. The Stooges themselves have this incredible skill matrix just amongst the three of them that you can come up with, and, you, and since they're all non-unique, you can put two, three of them in there, and there you go. Patal, for Christ's sakes, has eight skills. Yeah, he's that man. That man, that man is a beast, and he can be, he and the students can pretty much beat any skill-based alum out there with only a modest amount of help. And then when you actually bring Denatra into the group to handle all the attrition and all the hard walls, man, I there's I think there is a lot of potential there, and. I think people are just not giving. I think people have gotten so accustomed to Romulans not being that good, and people not wanting, you know, the people who don't like to play those big, monstrous, you know, heavy, you know, deep thinking decks like Far Seeing Eyes. People have gotten so accustomed to that that they haven't stopped to realize just how good Denatra could be, in my opinion. In my opinion, but I don't see. I don't. Skill based walls are not a problem for the Romulans, in my opinion. I think honestly, if if someone sits down and really works with them, I think someone can find just this awesome combination of cards with now with that that, that obviously revolves around the new Denatra now that will really just surprise people. And I disagree with Tyler saying that she's not as good as Ot Kirk. The problem with Ot Kirk has always been that one, you don't get to see it, so you could just as easily Kirk a timescape as you could the linchpin dilemma in a group. And on top of that, your opponent knows that if you Kirk, he didn't have to spend on that dilemma. They can throw one additional dilemma at you. Yeah. Denatra says, I get to see it, which is the same sort of power that you find with Fractured Time Kirk. And then I can bounce her, which is better than Fractured Time Kirk, because Kirk goes away. That Kirk goes away. This Denatra goes back to your hand to be replayed. And so that's the power of OT Kirk. And on top of it, your opponent knows he cannot spend any more or any less than he already had to against you. That's, well, that's a, that's a three-way win in my opinion. Well, we, we will see how she does. I mean, she doesn't do anything against an issue of Trust Gamtu, which is the other combo that has plagued Romulans for for years now. And and ultimately, I think Romulans are one of those affiliations that uh, Romulans, Maki, Dominion, Ferengi, where they they have a lot of tricks, and that can overwhelm people from even trying them and lead some people down the road of too many things in your deck that don't gel together. So I put them as 12 just because I, I think they're very hard to play and they have this, you know, perhaps unfair reputation of being, uh, being, being poor, being a poor affiliation. But that brings us to number nine. You both ranked it at eight. Deep Space Nine. Kevin, you have been a Deep Space Nine player in the past. What, what, what's, What's your thoughts now? Did, did they get enough love to crack top tier? They got enough love that you'll definitely want to pair them with someone else, and together they will be good. But by themselves, they still don't have it. I mean, you know, one of the benefits of being on the writing team and doing preview article is the fact that I do get a chance to see some of the previous incarnations of cards, how the card came about, you know, during playtesting and so forth, and 
I liked the early versions of Promenade School, and the final version of Promenade School I find to be a, a major disappointment. So, you know, I, I, I talked about it, you know, in the article, in the preview article, that it's good, and it is. It's something that DS9 needed, was the ability just to, you know, play some cheap card and get five points and, and start moving. Um, but having to stop for people is just too big of a cost. The fact that they all be different or different species was an even bigger problem. I liked the I think I like, I'm not going to, I doesn't, I don't even talk about the previous version because it's immaterial, but, you know, I, I, I find Promenade School just to be a bit of a disappointment. It, it's, it's the same problem that I seem to, that I just, and of course it's all my personal opinion, it's the same problem that design seems to have with Frankie. They, it's, it's hard to, I mean, it, it seems like walk on, walk on eggshells to try to give them something good without being too good. And honestly, it's getting to be tiring and frustrating watching cards come out for Frangie and DS9 that are almost there, but when you actually try to do something with them, they don't get there, you know? I feel the same way about DS9. Promenade School is kind of fun, but it's really not as efficient and powerful as you need it to be for them to go Tier 1. However, that being said, Charles Watley and Jerish Inyo have a lot of potential if you, if you decide to pair DS9 with, say, TNG, or some other affiliation that can more easily score five points. There's a lot of potential there. Tyler, what about you? Uh, I think DS9 is a ton of fun. Um, you know, if I if I ask myself, well, what deck do I really want to build? A lot of times it's a DS9 deck. Um, Amen you know, to that. Yeah. <laughs> and like right now, I've got a I've got a deck I'm working with that where no one no one in the away team can be stopped. And that deck is just a ton of fun. But it's it's not reliable enough. It's not Tier 1. And I think Kevin's exactly right that their best move at this point is going to get paired up, or is to be paired up with TNG Earth. And I think that deck could be Tier 1. Cool. Looks like we lost Kevin for a second, but he'll, be, he'll join us right back. Um, I'm playing Deep Space Nine Earth right now. I've been playing them for the past month or so. Uh... The the problem I keep having with um with uh Promenade School is that there there are only two one cost non humans. And half the time I end up having to stop like Worf or Ezri to play the Promenade School, which makes the trade off of using Jarashinio a lot worse. You know, if I could stop if I could get a god hand and get Hoya, Talor, Garrick and Nog in my opening hand with a Promenade School and trade, you know, those six counters for 12 counters of people, then it's okay for me. But when I end up having to stop, you know, Bashir, Worf, Hoya, and, uh, I don't know, Jadzia Dax or something, it's just not as good of a trade-off. So, I mean, they rely a lot on the order in which you get cards, and that makes it tough to build a deck because you can't control that. Busting with activity helps out a little bit, um, but it's again, it's a it's an order thing. Do you draw the cards that you can discard in time to download the people that you need? And bustling only helps you on the station too. So, right, Kevin, you back with us? Yeah, I apologize for no, that. No worries. The uh, the local internet service provider has been having some problems lately, so I apologize. I also lost my internet connection there. Um, uh, I caught kind of the tail end of what you guys were talking about. That you know, with DS9, it seems to be the 
you know, I mean, bustling is a great way to pick the order of how your cards are coming out so you can more efficiently use promenade school and so forth like that. But at the same time, ultimately, if you want to have good personnel for DS9, they tend to be the more costly ones that slow you down. Um, and you can't exactly bustling or energize. Um, well, what I, what I had said was, a lot of times trying to use promenade school, you end up having to stop expensive people that are non-humans, yeah. and that yeah. that reduces the the cost benefit of Jarashinyo because that's I'm using Deep Space Nine Earth, and I, and if I can get lucky and stop Hoya, Talor, Garrick, and Nog, I'm trading six counters for twelve counters. Whereas yeah. if I if I don't get lucky like that, I end up having to stop you know Julian Bashir, Worf. Hoya and Nog. Now I'm spend. Now I'm stopping. You know, ten or eleven counters of personnel to get twelve counters or less, and that's not. That doesn't make the math work. And and bustling with activity only works on the station. So yeah, and uh, on the blogs I posted for collaborative effort. It's open for anyone who wants to go on the blogs and uh, contribute to the idea. But you know, I recognize that problem definitely and agree with it. And so I set about the task a little while ago, you know, a week or two ago, to, you know, how can I make DS9 play out so that they can be reliable in the opening turns? And, of course, you know, I decided, well, the best thing to do is just acknowledge the power card and use it. So I paired uh, DS9 with TNG and decided, okay, I want to get Guinan. Well, busting with activity, you know, I can play a fed at DS9, pitch a card, go get Guinan, play Guinan. And then from there, I built onto the idea of, well, I could do better than that. I can pitch a card to Bustling that's fed, go get uh, Vintner Picard, Vintner Picard can play, and I can go get Guinan and two other people. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you can set up five cards early game every time, and then you can play Guinan for an easy five points, and then you can play, and then of course, you know, you, once again, you can play a Fed DS9, pitch a card, go get Jerish Inyo. So now Jerish Inyo is always in your hand when you want him. And boom, plop Jerish Inyo. And he can go get you Cisco, Dax, and Worf. Or Cisco, Worf, and George Primmon. Or George Primmon, Isri Dax, and Julian Bashir, Or whatever you want to go get for those big expensive cards. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you've traded, you've pitched one card from your hand, and you've gotten a dude who then go gets three dudes, and so now you're ahead on counters, actually. And then you play that, you know, then you play, you know, one dude for three and another dude for three, and you go get 12 more counters with people. Yeah. So. Well, maybe maybe what they really need is a one-cost gold star non-human, so. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen to that. They need, they, need, they, need, they need to be non-unique. Yeah. They've needed a non-unique command star for a long time now. Well, so and let's. actually start using the Bellerophon. So until Deep Space, until Design gets with the program and makes that, let's move on from Deep Space Nine to Maquis. Hey, hey, who's, who's on Design, by the way? Ah, well, you know, I don't, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Uh, let's talk about the Maquis, because they're number eight. And Tyler has them at three, not surprising. And Kevin has them at number nine. So we'll, we'll start with Kevin. Number nine, kind of in the bottom half. What's What's the story there? I'll just point to the. I'll just point to what I wrote when we were discussing this on the blogs and so forth. That uh, until I see a marquee build where the marquee the, the marquee build makes the player better and not the player makes the deck better, I don't buy a marquee. I understand how the math works with them. I understand that 
you know, you can sit there and over the course of how many turns, slow your opponent down, their clock is off, uh, how they plan their next turn doesn't seem to work out, and they lose another turn that way. And then on top of all of that, you can sit there and, and target people for, you know, removal with, uh, you know, stalling for time, you bounce them back and push them back and whatever else like that. I understand that you can use biogenic weapon to lock out a mission after you've decimated them to some degree. I understand all of that. The problem is, though, is that, uh, as we were talking about before with Romulans and so forth, that requires a lot of brain power, a little bit more luck than is typical for, say, a Solver deck. And then on top of all of that, it's just not incredibly reliable. If your opponent can move faster than you can push them back, they will all they will ultimately, you know, overrun you and you will be you will be down. But I just I, I, one of the things I always put into my mind with how I rank the power of an affiliation is is what is their ease of use? What how easy are they to play? And if they're easier to play, then typically they tend to be better because anybody can just pick it up and go with it. Um, and I don't see that with Maquis. Uh, very few people play Maquis, and that's because they are hard to play. And when they are hard to play, it's easier to make a mistake, and mistakes equal losses. So that's that's my critique on Maquis. Until I, until I see a deck that you can play with Maquis that is simple and streamlined and makes everyone a better player with it, I don't buy it. All right, Tyler, you've got them number three. You've obviously had a lot of success with them in the past. What's your what's your take on the Maquis for the 2011 regional season? <laughs> well, I think uh, what Kevin's saying is all well and good, but when I'm rating the affiliations, I'm I'm looking at what can a high level player do, you know, at the high level tournaments. Where you know we're talking about regionals, nationals, continentals here, and what I've seen of the Maquis is that it steamrolls 90% of the players out there. Because there's there's a, a breaking point at which a deck loses so many counters that it simply fails to work. And the fact is most players and with most decks are under that threshold. Um, especially when you throw in a legendary civilization and all those things. You know, so you get to a you get to a threshold where there's just very few decks that can get over it and actually go out and attempt missions. Some of the affiliations that we've already talked about, like Romulans, for instance, just can't get over that. So what affiliations, I mean, it's probably reflected in your rankings, but is it speed decks that can get over that? Is that the only option? Well, what helps the most is personnel who can play uh, at minus cost, but have high printed cost. So like TNG can get around it by playing Luoxana. And the Klingons can get around it by playing, um, you know, the past guys. The Borg can get around it with some of their energized schemes. Uh, the Ferengi, I think, are actually one of the few affiliations you can get around it by just playing a gob of counters. Yeah. Um, but most of the other most of the other affiliations can't do that. Fair enough. But here's the thing, though. I always come back with, but. The decks that seem to have the best opportunity to do that are also the ones sitting at the head of the ta- at the head tables all the time. Cadets, if you can't, I mean, uh, again, that's I mean, I, I hate to I hate to bring up cadets, but honestly, they, they they tend to be the measuring stick with you know if you, if you want to play speed or jank, 
you have to measure yourself against cadets. And I've never seen, I, I hate to say it, but I've never seen a Maquis deck be able to handle cadets reliably. And if you want, to, if you want to, if you want to be the champion at Worlds or at Continentals or whatever it is that you're planning on doing, you better expect that you're going to probably have to face down cadets once, if not more than once, and you better be able to beat them, you know, 75% of the time or better. And I just don't see that happening because cadets, they tend to get out of the starting gate super fast. And then after you've sat there and tried to push their counters back, they're still playing their dudes for one cost. And I just, you know, I, I, I can't see Maquis doing better simply because cadets are out there and cadets are, are really good again. Not that they ever were bad, but they seem to be really good again. Well, a legendary civilization, I think, is the is the balancer in that. That sure. if you can catch that cadet opponent without Luxana out, it's game over because they've got no counters worth the people, and you can wipe the table. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you could get Luxana off the table at the right moment and and so forth. But you know, honestly, though, I mean. Six counters worth of people going on, you know, 12 counters worth of people going into your deck for a cadet deck doesn't necessarily game over though either because by the time you get to that point, they're probably pushing through their second mission on you. And it's, you're, you're really just kind of shouting in the wind a little bit. Just, I mean, like I said, it all depends on how the game plays out, but, you know, a cadet deck can be through practice orbital maneuvers and beyond their second mission by the time you're trying to finish up. Uh, a legendary civilization with Maquis, who are not exactly known for their mission-solving ability either, which is why I, I, tend, I, I find your uh, opinion of Maquis somewhat ironic, since your major critique on Romulans is that they have a hard time solving missions, which is exactly the same problem Maquis have. So I, I will throw one note out there. If, if you smell cadets, run Coolant Leak, maybe even two of them, because <laughs> that, that will it'll hard stop them. One oh, coolant leak. There will be plenty of dilemmas in my Maquis deck to stop weenies. <laughs> one oh, coolant. You should, you should have plenty of dilemmas in your dilemma pile to stop weenies, regardless of whether or not you think they're going to show up. True. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to number seven, Tarak Noir. A, a last year, anybody who would have said Tarak Noir would be even in the top half probably would have been smoking some really good stuff. Uh, this year, we have Tyler putting them at six and Kevin them at five. So Tyler. Talk more. What do you expect? Well, uh, I think I would revise my rating a little bit, actually, and bring them up to five or maybe even up to four. Um, after Worlds, I put the Tarak Nor deck in the box and said, oh, yeah, it's been errated, whatever. We'll deal with that later. Well, I took it out of the box last week, and I think even paying for Wayun, um, that deck is still very viable because you can easily kill all your opponent's leadership, lock out their missions with Gemidar Entrenchment, and then complete the two easiest missions in the game for a full win. And I, that can compete with cadets if they're the measuring stick very easily. Amen to that. So the the freeway Yoon was not... Removing the freeway Yoon with the headset, not enough to stop that deck. Uh, to stop it? No, it, it can it can still go, because uh, the truth was with the build at Worlds, opponents never got working through the dilemma pile. Yeah, Wayun Wayun would lock them out before they even got to the dilemma pile. So mm -hmm. now 
my opponents having to go through the dilemma pile and lose all their leadership. And so the they're getting more dilemmas under the mission, but the end result is the same. Well, I mean, I th I think the big thing about eradicating the headset was means you can't pair that deck with friction and use Wayu in the turn you play him, right? So at least I get to play a guy and use him before you have the chance to Wayu him away. That you know may may or not be enough. Ke Kevin, what do you think about Terraknor? I think the power of Terraknor is entirely. I mean. I, I, I've already considered Tyler's deck and, and felt like, kind of came to the same conclusion. I mean, I've never built it and played it, but just looking at it on paper, I kind of come to the same conclusion that that deck still has potential to compete. Now, uh, the fact that you can't do the whole, you know, do the friction, you know, headset maneuver means that your opponent's going to have some opportunities to, uh, you know, hurt you right back. And so forth. I mean, Borg Assimilation and Far Seeing Eyes and, you know, Capture and stuff like that are going to have some opportunities to counteract whatever it is that you're doing. And you're going to have to, you know, the, uh, the problem I see with that deck is the fact that you still have, now you have to face down an hour time limit a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but I think the real power of Terraknor is, is Ruling Council. That card is so good. I mean, honestly, I mean, and it's so multifunctional. You can face down a stop attrition pile and say, I'm gonna blow the I'm gonna blow these on getting multiple attempts out of a turn. Or if you don't really feel the need to do that, you can blow them on two mission winning, or you can recur them and do both. That's that's so good. One other thing I'd like to say about Tarek Nor, I think friction is a tremendously underrated card. Because most players I don't think realize that it cancels when you play optional abilities. So, I mean, somebody like Alexander Roshenko, uh, Kematar, you know, is just hosed by it. And, and I think that ability is going to come up pretty big. I'll agree with that. Uh, so maybe that's an argument for using TOS because it doesn't cancel cost modifying abilities. So TOS can oh. get Scotty out and, uh, but it the does friction. cancel the modifying abilities of the Allegiance TMPers, who I think are the best cadre of the Toss people. Top of the mid card here, number six, is Cardassians. Uh, big split here with Tyler having them as high as four, although he said he might lower them a point or two. And uh, Kevin, number 11. So, uh, Kevin, no love for the Spoonheads. Well, no. <laughs> they, they, I don't, I don't like Cardassians. I mean, the Avec deck is the best deck that they've got out there, and then that one is not really all that super great, in my opinion, either. And that one's, that one's, I mean, I've seen that one be really good, but at the same time, though, you know, I've seen it be good, really based a lot on a lot of luck. I mean, first off, you're relying on Avec to actually hit, which you know, against speed, he's going to, but then you're facing down speed, you know, and and Cardassians have never known for their speed. Um, and then against another control janky deck that, you know, oh yeah, you, you, you can get my captive and you can score some points or whatever off of him and you can try to throw your, your broken captive with your, you know, with your event full of psychological pressures. But if I'm playing jank, I've got an answer for that six ways to Sunday. I'll either blow up that event, I'll take my captive back, I'll. You know, whatever, whatever. I mean, I just, I don't see Cardassians, I don't see anything the Cardassians have being reliable enough 
to compete with the best. You know, they don't have what it takes to play with the big boys. They don't have answers to Tyler's world deck from last year. They didn't have answers for they don't have answers for Starfleet speed or cadet speed. Heck, they're even worse against cadets than anything. And if they're if cadets are uh, the agreed measuring rod here right now, uh, my cadets have no skills. So your psychological pressure means nothing to me. I've got Kirk. Kirk handles broken captive. Kirk handles whatever you know you want to throw at me. Uh, I'm moving so fast that you know that uh, I can I can do my two missions or three missions before you're even really hurting me, you know, and so you take a couple of my people. Cadet decks tend to be loaded down with 25, 30 people. I'm not missing them at all. And cadets and the people they tend to work with, such as the doctors, cover the eight-cost killer dilemmas pretty well. So I just don't see Cardassians having it. And then there's the problem with initiative trust. All right, that's a long litany. <laughs> uh, Tyler. Number four, what's what's your what do you see in there that that uh, Kevin's not? Well, I think the Cardassians have a lot of the advantages that Tarak Nor have, in that they only have to do two of the easiest missions in the game to win. They can do uh, Cursor Rendezvous and Survey New World for the full win, and at the same time, they're scoring those bonus points by by taking away your people and abusing them. Um, you know. Are they are they going to be as good as cadets or a few of those other decks? No, but I think they still are strong, um, and and people will will take them highly in tournaments. I think. I mean, they do have the central command, which is one of the best unstoppers in the game or or stop preventers in the game. Um, they also can get. Bridge officers test, but you know that's relying on a lot of other cards to to, to get through any missions. Um, capture is also, you know, capture can be completely hosed by a well-timed rescue captives too. Makes it makes it tricky to play. Very true. So I mean, I I I I put them at nine, sort of halfway. I, I think that they can do well. I mean. Uh, the Ducat that discards non-aligns plus Krell Maset plus Central Command and and uh, a well-timed Ridge Officer's Test might be enough to propel a, a good player with a solid deck to a win. So, you know, they're not super fast, but they, they can be reliable uh, if they get what they need. So that finishes the mid-card for us and brings us to the top five. And I had a drum roll, I'd, I'd play it here. Uh, number five, ranked by by the by the by guests here, not not so well. Number ten in both cases, uh, ranked rather highly by the rest of the panel. Uh, TOS, TOS comes up at number five in the, the the combine rankings, but both of you had it at number ten. So Tyler, what's up with uh, the original series? Well, I think their their best deck was the. Enterprise Captain on the Bridge deck, where they could recur Kirk for two counters. They could play Spock and Willard Decker for free, or close to free. Um, and now that Captain on the Bridge has gone back to unique, I think that's much less reliable. Um, also, I just don't think the meta favors them, because all they have is mission solving, but yet it's not the all-out speed mission solving that cadets have. So I don't think 
people are big on the fact that Toss has lots of meta counters, but their meta counters all cost a lot. And I'm just not sure that that mix is going to result in a winning deck. It's a red herring. All those meta counters are a red herring. It gives you a false sense of security when you actually try to play them against people because you got to draw them and you got to draw them at the right time and you got to assume that your opponent doesn't remove them from your deck somehow. And you know, I just no, I agree with Tyler on that. It's just it's it's a those those meta counters are a false sense of security that TOS gives you. You know, I mean, honestly, my opinion is their best deck is Integrity Mission Solving, but you know. I don't even see that being like all that super great right now either because I just don't, and I I can't really put my finger on it. But you know, I I, I can see them doing well, but I don't see them being, you know, major major players because you know they don't they don't have they don't have easy reliable answers to a lot of the really nasty jank that tends to be out there. I, I think one of their big, one of their best weapons is um, Cisco. And people forget about him. It's same with the Cardassians; they have Mila. People people forget yeah. about personnel that can cancel your interrupts. Yeah, no doubt. Um, they do have. I'm. It, I can't think of it. It's coordinated counterattack, and and if you can get that out in the right dilemma pile, and it not get blown up, that can be damaging. <laughs> That's a big if. It is a big if, and the the third weapon that they have. Uh, that will help them is, is number one because they they they're one of the only factions that has uh, a capture recovery that isn't rescue captives and and if Cardassians do make a splash, TOS might might be viable there. But you know your points are valid. You know if, if you're playing classic TOS, they're going to get ripped up by by weenies. If you're playing Allegiance TOS, uh, they're, they're they can cost you. So to make any use of their abilities, they're expensive. Yeah, they tend to they tend to have this this not quite the same problem, but it's kind of that same like you know three headed giant problem that we were talking about before. That you know you can sit there and you can try to play the weenie TOS super fast or whatever, and then they just die to weenies, and they don't have the skill the skill matrix and the uh, and the uh, TNG Earth and stuff like that kind of tricks that help counteract that. Or you can go the route of playing the big expensive people, but now like Tyler said with Captain on the Bridge being unique that's a little bit less that's it's slower and less reliable and so you know and then you can try to melt them but then you've got this kind of weird bastard child that doesn't really doesn't really seem to want to work because then you basically what you've done is you have to lean one way or the other and then you throw in your meta counters and then those meta counters like i said they're a false sense of security so i mean you can sit there and you can play number one to get your captives back but you know what if she got captured true <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I guess there, there's a degree of luck there. If if you're playing TOS and you get the meta counter you need at the time you need it, you'll win. If you don't, you'll have a hard time. So, moving us up to the number four overall pick, uh, Starfleet. Uh, Tyler has him at five. Kevin at seven. What's what's your opinion on Starfleet, Kevin? They're still good, but when uh, Sean Hawkins got himself uh, got himself uh, you know nerfed. He got put into a padded room. He uh, he definitely brought that deck. That that deck that deck came down with him. Um, I mean, God, the ability to protect Archer from secret identity and, and caretaker's guest was just ridiculous, and that needed to be taken care of. Um, but now now you can get rid of now you can get rid of of Archer 
and your tragic turned llama pile can once again rip them to shreds. So, you know, I don't, I don't buy into Starfleet right now in the meta. That uh, as long as people continue to play tragic turn relatively heavily, heavily, especially here in the U.S. and so forth, I don't really buy them that much. I can understand why they they're still good because they are still fast. They can still spend counters in bunches reliably. Their people are probably pretty good for the cost that you pay for them, you know, and so forth. And uh, the ability to report directly to your ship if you're playing damage Starfleet is, you know, is understated. Um, in, in its awesomeness. So I understand why they're still up there, but they're not higher for me simply because of the fact that the deck that was best for them needed to be brought down. And now that it's been brought down, it's going to have some problems with that, I think. Tyler, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Kevin's pretty much got it right. They're, they're still powerful mission solvers, but they're not going to be as fast as cadets. And while they do have a little more resiliency, I think, I don't think that's going to take them over the top. Fair enough. I think the thing that I regret is, I think, well, my feeling is that the deck that's going to do well is not going to be the damaged Starfleet, but it's going to be the the Nathan Samuels alien deck, because you can drop so many expensive people for cheap, which helps you counter the Maquis, it helps you counter the... Um, the weenie stuff. It, I, I think the future Enterprise never really got its day in the sun because it was followed up with damaged Starfleet. So, see, and I disagree with that, Charlie, because I actually melded Nathan Samuels with damaged Starfleet, and I thought that made him better. This is one of the rare, rare incidences where I actually thought that taking two entirely separate ideas for what an affiliation does and actually merging them together made them better. You know, I mean, uh, Tobias's World Champion deck was so good. Because it was good, but then on top of it, it was prepared for Tyler. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, outside of that, assuming you don't have to sit there and try to prepare for Tyler's deck, and you can do whatever you want with Star- Damage Starfleet, they and the, the, the alien Starfleet, I think, merge really well. And, you know, that's, that's my opinion on it. That's, that's why I agree with you, Charlie. I think that's why they're good still. To some degree, however, they don't have a whole lot of cheating ability, and they don't have the ability to. I mean, they have the ability for you to try to play around Jank, but they don't really have a whole lot of. Oh, I can put this into my deck, and I can counteract Jank at the same time that I'm pushing my mission solving forward. They don't have. I mean. We talked about what makes Tarak Nor so good being ruling council. Ruling council is multi-purpose. You can sit there and you can try to pound missions out faster to counteract Jank, or you can try to make your life easier by trying to two-mission win relatively easy. It's a multi-purpose card. Starfleet doesn't seem to have that sort of multi-purpose. I can put this in my deck, and it doesn't hurt my mission solving. At the same time, it helps me counteract Jank. That's my opinion. I mean, honestly... Uh, Archer was that card, and now he's not nearly as reliable. Yeah. One thing I'd like to see with Starfleet is I'd like to see someone abuse hate. Um, hate. One of a, one of our local players pointed out that you can you can play hate to remove Lorian or um, the the chick. What's her name? Karen Archer. Karen Archer uh, from the game to get their bonus, just sort of at will, and I, I think that could be powerful. 
Yeah, the, the plus two to all your personnel to the end of the turn is huge if you manage to time it right. So, yeah, that could be good. All right, number three is Klingon. And Tyler, this is Tyler's number one. Kevin's number three. Tyler, why do you have the Klingons in the top spot? Huh. I have the Klingons at the top spot because they download whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, you know, they're with Alexander Roshenko, it's very easy to play him and download five to six cards. Um, and you know what? You've got enough equipment in your deck and with Korath that the Klingon tea ceremony isn't going to be a problem. That ability to download whatever you need, whenever you need it, and the ability to run a large deck that has all those meta counters in it, I think is tremendously powerful. Um, you know, you can run the clutch cards like a few minor difficulties and rescue captives, and those don't take up that much deck space because you're just downloading. On top of that, they've got great mission solving with great skills. They got a way around issue of trust. Um, they're not really susceptible to GOM2. I just, and they can do a two mission win on top of that by getting the bonus points from battling. And I think all of those things are relatively easy for them to do. Or Bogtool Challenge. Yeah. So, Kevin, you've got him at number three. What, I mean, what, what made you put him down a couple? What flaws do you see with the Klingons? The only flaws I see with the Klingons is the fact that uh, they sometimes have the ability when they get into a... If you're playing straight mission solver with them, like you're playing Klingon Riker or whatever, you know, they're not quite as fast as, say, cadets or Starfleet or what have you. Uh, they don't have, you know, or, you know, and then when you match them up against, say, you know, Euroborg, you know, Euroborg has such amazing, you know, mid-game power that, you know, or, you know, mid-game explosion or closing speed or whatever card game term you want to use for it. But, um, you know, they don't, you know, Klingons are solid because, I mean, Klingon Riker is always bread and butter. It's fast. It handles pretty much any dilemma you can throw at it because it's got Riker for skill cheating. It's got... The promise for attribute cheating, it's got the swords to make everything better, you know, things like that. I mean, it has all the, the all the elements. It has the ability to micro team on a whim. You know, it has all those elements of great speed, but it's not quite as fast as the real speed out there. Uh, then on the on the control side, you've got Krooge, who will Krooge in the battle and stuff like that, and try to slaughter them and whatever. And that can be really powerful. And that can be great. You know, it can be just as great as assimilation or maquis shenanigans or whatever else like that. But, you know, I bring them down because if you're going to play that deck, you got to be really good at playing that deck. Again, it falls victim to my, my theory of, you know, it, that deck doesn't make the player better. The player makes that deck better. However, they are up there because, as Tyler said, they can pretty much download whatever it is that they want when they want it. And that out, and that has a lot of value. All right, number two, which was also one of the biggest spreads between you two guys, Next Generation. Kevin's number one, Tyler's number nine. So, Kevin, why why do the Next Generation boys reign supreme? Uh, you know, cadets, doctors, Guinan, and the new Enterprise D. Enough said. 
All right. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Tyler, you've got you've got them uh, in the middle card. What's what's your thoughts there? Uh, you know, I did the I did the rankings uh, a couple weeks ago now, and I think I would definitely put them top five. Um, I think with the Enterprise D, the new one, they've got a very reliable two mission cadet deck, and that makes them tremendously powerful. Uh, I think they'll be one of the decks to beat coming up uh, here in the regional season. Fair enough. So, so you, 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 where would you put them now if you were going to put them anywhere? Three or four. Three or four. Fair enough. That would certainly, uh, if we did the math on it, that would certainly put them up to uh, maybe first place. But for now, number one, the last affiliation to be mentioned, uh, ranked number two by Tyler, number four by Kevin, are the Borg. So. Kevin, you mentioned Euroborg, so I'm going to jump to Tyler here first because he is a, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, a European-style player. What what about the Borg has you having them so high? Well, you got to, the same way with the Klingons where you have to talk about the Solar variant and the Battle variant, you got to do the same thing with the Borg. Um, but I think both of those variants are extraordinarily powerful, and two of the Two of the best decks in the top ten, at the least. Um, assimilation draws its power from the ability to get the two-mission win and ability to siphon off all of your best people. Um, what both of the decks share is the queen, which lets you swap whoever you want for whoever else you want at any time, which is tremendously annoying when you're trying to play dilemmas. Um, and Knowledge and experience. Knowledge and experience, it's the most powerful dilemma buster in the game. And annexation drone is the easiest way to get five points in the game. So really all you have to do is play uh, a couple of dilemmas that will grab people for you or assimilate just one piddly person off of the, the one span assimilator mission, and, and you're good to go. And I think that's going to be tremendously powerful at any point going into the championship season. Kevin, what about you? What are, you, what are your thoughts on the uh, cyborgs? Oh, pretty much everything Tyler said. I mean, you can you can either go, you know, I, I have, I, I rank affiliations that have completely opposite decks that are equally good, seemingly. And, you know, I, I rank those affiliations higher. I mean, you know, just based upon that fact alone, I mean, if you want to play Borg, you can play, you know, Euro Borg. You can play small size deck board solver. Uh, you can play a large assimilator, you know, some big 80 card assimilator deck, you know, or you can play like my 44 card assimilator deck, you know, I mean, you can play decks of different sizes, of different types, you know, they're completely opposite each other. One's mission solving, one's assimilation based, and they're seemingly all equally good. And that's, you know, you sit down against a board opponent and you know, if they can, you know, if a Borg opponent can hide their mission, their mission selection from you, you know, make you question whether it's the one or the other, they can, they can walk you into a trap. They can, you know, they can be playing speed and you hold back thinking they're going to play a simulator and they've just gained a turn or two advantage on you or the opposite. They can be playing a simulation. You think they're playing speed. You run out as fast as you can and all of a sudden they walk over and take half your people and put you way behind. So, 
that's that's power. And that's power, plain and simple. When you don't, when you really don't know what your opponent's playing based upon their even based upon their headquarters and their missions, that's power. So, I think the saving grace for everyone is going to be that the Borg are still vulnerable to a few choice dilemmas. Um, the captain's guests, um, Gamtu shockwave. Some of those dilemmas that they get played very frequently will give players an open opening to beat the board. But I think if you don't prepare for them, then they're going to shellack you. All right. So I made a promise to a couple listeners that I would do a random card review in this episode. So what I'm going to do here is open a pack of Reflections 2 <laughs> that I bought. And we're going to go to the Reflections foil. I call, I call dibs on necessary evil cards you find in there. Yeah, you wish. You wish. <laughs> I am going to go to the Reflections card, and we will talk about it. And the Reflections card in this... I'm going to look and see if I got any necessary evil, because I don't think I did. Nope. No necessary evil at all. Anyway, uh, the Reflections card is 6P32 Tribunal Sentencing. This is the card that... Uh, Cardassian card that while I have your captive, you spend one less counter every turn. And we talked about capture, so Tyler, why don't you kick us off and tell us what you think about this card, and do you think it'll make an appearance in this year's meta? Oh, I love this card. I think this card is a ton of fun. And if I could make Cardassian decks that use this card, I would totally do it. But the fact is that the Cardassians don't have a way to protect their punishment events. Um, that's something I'd like to see design do at some point, uh, hint, hint. Um, it, but without the ability to protect it, it's just too high a cost for too little of a benefit. Kevin, what about you? I think the card's a lot of fun when you play it. I mean, I don't think the card's, I don't think that card is, you know, gonna, gonna find its way into a, you know, top level deck. But, you know, I've had, I've had people play it against me and, I, it's a good card. I mean, you know, if you can actually get it to come out in multiples, it it can be a lot more damaging than you realize. So, you know, it, it can it's got more power than it appears on the face of it. But you know, as with all cards that are highly situational like that, I mean, so not you know, not a get, go ahead. No, it's not not a ton of respect from me, but I, I give it I give it a modicum of respect that you know when you actually get it to work, it is much more powerful than you realize it would be. So the it's, problem with that card is, is that you know it would be a lot better card. It would be an incredibly good card if you didn't have to have three Cardassians to play it. Yeah, then it would be great. So not likely to show up in any regional Cardassian capture decks, unless yeah. somebody's playing multiplayer. Oh, then it, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, you, oh, you get... in, multi, in multiplayer, it's it's godlike. Yes. When you get when you get two team, you know, a team of players running it, and everybody's reduced to one counter. Oh, it, it's amazing. Yeah, playing first edition, draw one, spend one. Anyway, <clears throat> all right, <laughs> let's do a summary real quick. I'm gonna run down through the list again, and in in one sentence each, I want you to tell me what deck for that affiliation is gonna do the best, the most often. So. We'll start with the Borg. You know, pick one of the decks that they've got that you think is going to do the best in the most regionals. Okay, so number one is the Borg. Tyler. Assimilator. Kevin. 
Um, repeat the question. I'm sorry, I was lost in a thought. What board deck is going to do the best in the most regionals in like one sentence or, or one, you know? Assimilator. Okay. So, number two, TNG. Kevin. Cadets. Cadets 2 mission win with the new Enterprise. Tyler. Same thing. All right, number three, Klingons. Tyler. High Council. Kevin. Klingon Riker. Number four is Starfleet. Tyler, you go first every time, and Kevin, you go second every time. Just be easy. And people get tired of me saying your names. So, Starfleet. <laughs> uh, Nathan Samuels, future. Uh, I'll go with Nathan Samuels paired with the damaged Enterprise. Alright, number five is TOS. Um, Weenies. Kevin? Uh, I'm gonna be crazy here. And, and I'm gonna go with, um, Precision. Stop and kill with Shran, McCoy, and so forth. Dilemma balancing. Interesting. All right, mid card. Number six is the Cardassians. Evac. It's going to be the standard Evac assimilator. Or not. <laughs> capture. Capture, not assimilator. Kevin, the uh, Greek. Johannesburg evacuator free. All right. Uh, number seven, Tarek Noor. Two mission leadership lockout. I'm gonna say agreed. Okay. Number eight, Maquis. My deck. <laughs> Tyler's deck. All right. Number uh, nine, Deep Space Nine. Uh, DS9 paired with TNG to abuse both. Jarashino and Watson. I'm going to say agree to that. All right. Number 10, Romulans. Uh, far seeing eyes. Uh, I'm going to say three Stooges, Dinatra, uh, two mission win. Okay. And that takes us to the bottom tier. Number 11, Ferengi. Um,. Rega paired with the past, guys. Kev? I'm going to have to go with um, small deck size, two mission win using Frungi tradition. Alright. Number 12, Voyager. Um, big event, tragic turn. Big event, tragic turn? Okay. Number 13, Bajorans. Uh, resistance paired with the Treasury. I'm going to have to be crazy here, and I'm going to go ahead and say Polotico Pooch paired with Integrity Solving, meaning it's a really Integrity Solving that just finds a few treachery Bajorans to play political pooch with. Wow. Number 14, the Dominion. Um, Kevin's tech. <laughs> Alright, and I'm sure Kevin will agree there. Tiger blood! Tiger. Winning, duh! 
And lastly, non-aligned. If a non-aligned deck is going to squeak a win, what's it going to what's it going to be? Androids. Androids. All right. So that is our regional review for 2011. I will bring you gentlemen both back on, assuming you're willing, after regional season, and uh, we will compare your predictions to the actual results, if that sounds like a plan. I'll be here with balls right. on and winning in my blood. All right. Gentlemen, thanks for your time, and everybody out there, have a great week. mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life.